Would you please stand with me for the reading of the gospel? This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Once again, when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Messiah of God. He sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will save it. The gospel of the Lord. I invite you to be seated. Well, Lord, by the power of your word, may my words be moved towards your teaching to speak your message in wonder and with discretion. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My name is Morgan, and I'm the associate pastor here at Incarnation. And kids, it is so great to have you all in the service. I hope that you had a chance to grab a journal from the back or something to color with. As you listen tonight, I want you to listen for certain things I'm going to mention, like words like seeing or observing or noticing. And when I mention one of those things, maybe what you could do is look around in the sanctuary and noticed something, and I didn't realize that this was going to be the VBS Sunday for Greenbrier, so there are a lot more things to notice in here than normal. So as you take notice of things, maybe you could draw something, and then when you get home later, explain to your parents the things that you were noticing in the sanctuary. And parents, I'm fully aware that kids make noise, but we're family, and I love the competition, and it's going to be great. And speaking of kids... One of the great things about kids is that they are really good at making great observations. So when something seems out of the ordinary, they're quick to tell you so. I was once standing in line at a restaurant, and there was a a mother who was pregnant, and there was a father next to her, and a little daughter who was maybe four or five years old. There was also a, a large gentleman near them, and the little daughter just kept looking up at the man, and looking back at her mom, and looking up at the man, and then looking back at her mom. And finally, she just grabs her mom's hand, and she points to the man and says, look, mom, he has a baby just like you. (laughs) Well, (laughs) she made an observation. She noticed something that was out of the ordinary and was very bold to say so. She just unfortunately had the wrong conclusion about what was happening there. But I love that kids take notice of things. And tonight, we're going to take a look at a story in the book of Acts that involves Saints Peter and John taking notice of something that is very important. Last week, we looked at Acts chapter 2, and Reverend Liz taught us about the church being characterized by four things, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And then verse 43 has this little tagline, and it says, 
Then awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. So chapter 3, our passage this evening, opens with one of those signs and miracles. Peter and John were doing what they often did, which was to go to the temple and pray. Each day they were among hundreds who would go to the temple and they would walk by this man who was being brought by his friends every day to ask for alms at the gate that was called Beautiful. But the name of Jesus was moving outwards. It was gaining a reputation. And St. Luke begins with a problem at the established center of civic and religious life where there is a man who can't enter the temple because of his state of being And he's brought by friends every day to ask for alms from the worshipers. And I wonder if that man had any hope anymore. I wonder if he was seen. Because the way that he's mentioned, he just seems like a fixture in the story, almost like flowers that you would put on your table or like candles in the windowsill. He was just the beggar. He's a flat character with no story. Someone that people could fulfill their religious obligations with. But... Jesus' name, the power of salvation, while it's being spoken at Pentecost, it's now needing to move outwards. And here, where people are excluded from temple worship, Jesus' name and its connection to the God of Israel has serious implications for how the establishment needs to reevaluate how and why some people are excluded from worship. The problem for the temple system is a problem that we find in our own day. It's that people get labeled, then they get quantified, and then they are excluded. So Jean Vanier, who just passed away earlier this year and had begun the L'Arche community, of which several of you are involved, he was talking about somebody like this man uh, in one of his books. Um, It's called Man and Woman, God Made Them. And he has this great conclusion about the kind of person in this passage. He says, A society which discards those who are weak and non-productive risks exaggerating the development of reason, organization, aggression, and the desire to dominate. It becomes a society without a heart, without kindness, a rational and sad society, lacking celebration, divided within itself, and given to competition, rivalry, and finally, violence. The gospel reveals to us the true meaning of the poor, the weak, and the non-productive. The message of Jesus is clear. The good news is announced to the poor. That good news is that they will never be abandoned. They are loved by the Father who takes care of them. They do have a place. They do have value. Hidden in them is a mystery. In drawing near to them through the heart, we are drawn closer to God. And the large community exemplifies Vanier's ideals as those with and without intellectual disabilities live together in community. And in a similar way, the church creates one new family. Everyone is welcomed to believe in Christ, to be baptized, to become full participants of this community of faith, which began with Christ and his apostles. So the man in Acts 3 had been a fixture in the story. He was crippled from birth. And Jesus' name is going to upset what people knew to be true. 
The name of Jesus is going to do that several times in the book of Acts. It's going to do it again in chapter 8 when the gospel is given to the Samaritans. And the name of Jesus is going to do that again in chapter 10 when the gospel, the name of Jesus, is given to the Gentiles. So the name of Jesus, which here through the apostolic witness, is synonymous with the movement of the life of the church, speaks the possibility for full fellowship to those of all manner, manner of physical or economic state and every ethnic community. The church shows itself to be the body of Christ when it's bringing people into fellowship by connecting the name of Jesus with God's saving acts that he's done in the past. The Christian church from its very inception was this spirit-filled fellowship of radical hospitality where this subversive sacrament of baptism takes the empire's aristocrats and its have-nots, and it makes them brothers and sisters in one new family. It's Peter and John. They take notice of this man that everybody else walks by. The man is so used to this cycle of asking and rejection and asking again and rejection and asking and rejection that he no longer looks up. Society deemed him worthless, and he's uncritically accepted the culture's estimation of his, of his worth. So I appreciate Peter and John's request. They look at him and they say, look at us. Because first the man has to look up, which is this hopeful posture, more so than looking down. But also because looking someone in the eye is a disarming action, and it creates this momentary recognition of somebody else's humanity. And so I want you to do something tonight. I actually want you to look around. Can you turn to the person next to you and look at them and say, look at me. And then I want you to flip-flop and do that again. All right, so did you feel the awkwardness in that experience? And, and I wonder how long you kept eye contact it's an awkward and it's uncomfortable, but one of the things that as you look in the other person's eyes, it starts to help you see what are the presuppositions I have, what are the prejudices I have. It's awkward and it's uncomfortable, but that's where we see the image of God. And so we would do well to build habits in our life where we have to look real people in the eyes. You and I are the icon of God, and opening ourselves to seeing one another opens us up to seeing God more clearly. And as a sidebar, if you want your eyes opened to who your neighbors might be, uh, check out the Columbia Pike Documentary Project. They just put some pictures up from the last week. Um, and that's a really great way to get to know what your neighbors look like and who they are uh, as one small step. They have a lot of photos, and you can appreciate the diversity that, that is all along Columbia Pike down here. So getting back to our story, the man is still waiting to receive alms from Peter and John. And while alms are great, Peter has something for him that is far better. He says to him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The man had known the works of God, but what Peter's doing is communicating to him and everyone around that the God who has done all these mighty acts of salvation is now at work in Jesus Christ, his anointed. And 
Again, that's not to say that every person that has something debilitating or some element of suffering will be alleviated. I don't want to be saying that. So there's this difficult paradox in Christianity where we believe that Jesus can heal and we're also called to give relief to the poor while at the same time affirming that poverty, that illness, that disability are often not the results of sin or evil and that one is still completely in the image of God when they're in the state of poverty, illness, or disability. And so if we want to know the ways that God interacts with us in that sense, we can look at the scriptures, but often I find a helpful resource is our own prayer book. And there's this great prayer for sickness, and it almost assumes that the, the healing may not take place. And sometimes we just don't know. And so there's this beautiful prayer, and it says, Sanctify, O Lord, the sickness of your servant, that the sense of their weakness may add strength to their faith and seriousness to their repentance. And grant that they may live with you in everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So in this instance, rather than a paradigm for physical healing, I think that this man in Acts 3 is a helpful paradigm for the way that Jesus can bring people into right worship and full fellowship when there is just something keeping them on the outside. And that's the ministry that the church is called to bringing people into restored fellowship by connecting the name of Jesus with the saving acts of God. Before Peter could speak the words of salvation, he had to notice the man and he had to really see him. This temple, this established place where the works of God were heard and God was adored was now open to this man because of the name of Jesus. And Peter is going to use this moment to address the crowds and tell them that faith in Jesus' name is what has made this man well. Some would believe, some wouldn't believe, but in that moment, everyone was in a state of wonder and amazement at what happened to this man because they all knew who he was and they saw the change. This man is joyfully dancing and he's leaping in his experience of the goodness of God right into the temple and right into the community of faith. If Peter had just started arguing with the crowd, it would not have gone nearly as well. It wouldn't have been as effective. But there's something about this wonder that becomes an aha moment for many in the surrounding Jewish community. So the church, as it takes notice of people and as it brings them in, it should be a compelling and wonder-filled place that creates aha moments to those who are outside. And again, that's what the Eucharist teaches us every week, even as we depart with the words like, let us go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit, or let us go forth in the name of Christ. The aha moments for those who are on the outside don't generally come from disembodied messages about Jesus. They come when people outside experience the stories of redemption that are found in the body of Christ. So for me, that often takes the form of walking alongside somebody in their story and in their beliefs as far as I can and asking a lot of good questions to understand. And then when the moment's right, humbly sharing the ways that experiencing Jesus has transformed my heart, my situation, and how it might transform their situation or their pattern of behavior or their presuppositions. Sometimes it involves just listening 
and not saying anything at all. And some people might reject Jesus or disagree. And if they do, we're called to keep loving them and being friends, continue to observe and be kind. They're made in God's image and we never get to see the substance of people's hearts. Some are going to believe and they're going to experience the joy of the divine life in the Trinity and that is going to be a mutual joy for us all. So we're becoming the church, this radical fellowship of hospitality that's motivated by our sacraments of grace to become a sacrament of grace to the world. Like Peter, God's going to put people in front of us that need their narrative bound up with the name of Jesus. And so we get to be good observers and we get to be humble but honest communicators because becoming the church involves sharing in that ministry of connecting the name of Jesus with the saving acts of God for those who God places before us. Let's pray. Gracious and holy Father, please give us intellect to understand you, reason to discern you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, a spirit to know you, a heart to meditate upon you, ears to hear you, eyes to see you, a tongue to proclaim you, a way of life pleasing to you, patience to wait for you, and perseverance to look for you. Grant us a perfect end, your holy presence, a blessed resurrection, and life everlasting. Amen.